Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi everyone, Taylor here. You know at our podcast, we were wanting to center the perspectives of people who look like us and women as well as marginalized people who have been historically pushed to the sideline of conversations. So if you haven't already, we welcome you to engage through our Instagram or Facebook page by leaving a comment or simply support us by subscribe our podcast from Acast, Apple, Spotify and Google. It will make a huge differences to increase our visibility and centering the conversations we have from our pod. Enjoy today's episode. Hey y'all, it's Jessie. Hi, this is Helen. And we are <laughs> Right. Yeah, yeah, a bit of uh, difficulties yeah, with our uh, mics, respective mics. So anyway, um, Helen, how was your week? Yeah, my week's been okay. Uh, the sky finally cleared yes. yesterday, so we finally have stopped raining and the ceiling's not leaking anymore. Well, I yeah, every leak. person I know <laughs> is experiencing some sort of leakage in their house around around Sydney. Um, for all those people listening mm-hmm. inside of Australia, um, according to CNN, I was browsing through CNN the other day and the headline was 40% of Australia is underwater or something like that. <laughs> 40%. Not, like, oh, it's like, is it like the similar... Um, graphic info they had where the Australia had bushfire and every yeah. part of Australia is on fire. Yeah, and I had like emails from like friends in America saying like, oh, are you okay? I love how um, the, the world just kind of like sensationalized or, you know, every media outlet tends to sensationalize. Yeah, but taking it to the extreme. So, yeah, because Australia is so, so foreign to other countries, like literally physically so distant, we're just like this kind of, funny article that they can just like um play around with you know uh yeah. I, I think it was like 40 percent of australia was underwater it was like 40 40 percent of australia is like experiencing severe thunderstorms or something like that but i have to say mm. it was quite like cinematic and extreme and theatrical um i when i was driving to friend's place like in the inner west like literally the roads were completely flooded and like i was oh my driving in my mini fiat just thinking oh my god like i might be like you know posing threat to like um, my car you know it's kind uh-huh. of because um if you have a small car you know you don't even know what it's capable of you know yeah exactly how flooded are the roads in the city well, well I actually like the because I only drive around the inner west um what I've witnessed is just basically the sides of roads they think they tend to dip mm-hmm. down and so like um yeah. if you're driving your car you just get like the side of the side of the sort of the side of the road is just like um very very kind of deep in water and so when you uh-huh. go through like an intersection or some part of the road that's dipped you just have to go super slowly yeah but yeah. it's also a worry as well because um, you never know how deep it is. I know exactly. If, you you can't, if you're not familiar with the road, yeah. Like I remember once a couple of years back. That's when I first arrived in, on Central Coast, and I didn't know how um, deep that the water was. And I tried to drive through some part of like the not very heavily flooded, but it was enough that my car literally just slowed down, and I panicked and I pushed the accelerator. Yeah. And luckily, I drove out of that road. Yeah, but then um, my husband told me that oh never do never never do that again because you never know 
like how deep the water is your your car your car would just stuck there yeah especially during the um heavy rain as well you don't know how fast the water will rise yeah it's so So that's quite scary yeah it's so dangerous yeah it felt in the last week or so felt really apocalyptic you know like um, Mm -hmm. whenever there's like it's just it feels it feels like such a rare phenomenon to <laughs> have like Sydney um constantly be in rain for days, you know, like it really mm-hmm. wasn't even a whole week. I think it was like four or five days. Yeah, whole, yeah. yeah. And even that, mm-hmm. I mean that's pretty like typical for places like say Seattle. But like in Sydney, um it's just so rare that I just felt like I remember by the fifth or fourth or fifth day, I was like, Okay, I have I've had enough, you know. <laughs> I've had enough, even though I go around thinking like, you know, there are no great riders in Sydney because, um, because mm-hmm. of the weather. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like this, I still, yeah, I'm still trying to negotiate the truth of the a theory that I have that, you know, there's a correlation between creative genius and the weather. Um, <laughs> but yeah. I was thinking, I just remember thinking like, uh, yes, when it started sunning yesterday, oh, I believe it was Wednesday, mm-hmm. right? When the sun came out or Tuesday? Yeah, Wednesday. yesterday, and, yesterday, yeah. Wednesday, yeah. Um, it was seriously glorious. Like I lay, I'm very lucky on my bed. Um, it's next to a massive window and I get to lie mm-hmm. in the sun in on my bed, you know, and I yeah. ended up being in the sun for too long. I got a heat stroke. But anyway. <laughs> when it was I, really hot yesterday as well. Yeah, it was yeah. so warm and it felt like the first time I had felt um, warm rays of sun on my skin and it really did feel like a mm. natural resource. Sorry, I'm just going to turn yeah. my slack off, my work slack off because it's going to make funny <laughs> sounds. Um, yeah, but it, um, it really did feel like a natural resource that was rare and um, I was really happy you know, like the sun does yeah. important endorphins to have probably why like a lot of um, higher suicidal rates in, you know, cold parts of the world. Perhaps uh-huh. I, made, yeah. I made that stat up by the way. Um, but um, I was talking to a friend the other night and I was like, well, I wonder how many novels were written in those last four days of rain. Right. Or like just yeah. <laughs> of like the productivity, you know, definitely uh-huh. increases when people are forced to be indoors. Yeah, I think that there must be a correlation, but it also depends on individual as well. Because I'm trying to distract myself not to read so much news, you know, shit news on the news channels. So mm-hmm. I've just been binging and indulge myself watching dramas. And also I finished um, Clara and the Sun over oh, the weekend because I just literally didn't have anything to do. I also agree with you the nourishment that we had yesterday when the Sun first came out. I just literally plan that I have to take my dogs out yeah. to do the walk after I drop the kids off. Yeah. Yeah. And get them to have a bath because I don't know when the rain's gonna come back. Apparently we're gonna have another thunderstorm this afternoon. Really? Oh so that's what I did. Yeah. So it was a really, really great feeling, like you said. Yeah. Just walking under the sun. Yeah. I know. Yeah. It's like nothing else. Turning from the weather to the political climate of this disastrous mm-hmm. um nation at the moment um i was mortified <laughs> to hear that scott morrison the other day um i think it was two days ago he made a speech where um, it was the night after four corners aired a program a report mm-hmm. about um, Brittany higgins did you see it no i haven't seen that one yet yeah, yeah. So it was basically um they couched, they couched the big reveal uh with mm-hmm. the, um coming forward of the security guard Who's a woman? Uh, ah, yeah. Yeah, who, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I saw that news. Who yeah. Came, yeah, who found Brittany Higgins after her um, rape, uh, and mm-hmm. um, so Morrison responded to that the following morning. And I just wanted to read out exactly his words. Um, 
from his speech, the part of the speech mm-hmm. that where he teared, where he teared up. So it looked like he was. Oh, about- did he? Yeah, oh yeah, he God. got a bit teary. And you know, men are always emotional when they talk about women or lying. You know, <laughs> like, um, who was that cricketer who uh, was like? Um, found match fixing or something the other a few years ago, and he was crying. Matt Smith or uh, he has yeah, something like white, man, yeah. white man mm-hmm. yeah. uh, name Cameron Smith, I think. <coughs> so uh, yeah, men are obviously you know like Brett Kavanaugh and Christian Porter are allowed to show emotions when you know they feel like yeah, but they show emotions. You know why they show emotions? They show emotions because oh, they, they got caught. Yeah, they got caught out of what yeah. they'd be doing wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Not because they're feeling apologetic, I think. Uh, Yeah. Anyway, um, Scott Morrison's speech. So um, this is, I'm going to quote you directly from his speech, the one part where he gets teary and the one part that obviously um, makes me extremely angry. And I'll talk about Mm -hmm. it after, after I quote his speech. So he says, this is about 10 minutes into his speech. He says, Now forgive me for this indulgence. I want women to have at least the same opportunities and the same voice and the same safety as men in this country. I have the deepest of vested interest. Criticize me if you like for speaking out about my daughters, but they are the center of my life. My wife is the center of my life. My mother, my widowed mother is the center of my life. They motivate me every day on this issue. They have motivated me my entire life. They have taught me the values and the faith has sustained me every single day in this job. This is why I am here. I owe them everything. And to them, I say to you girls, I will not let you down. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I have to respond to that. I mean, it's like, again, she's using, last time she was using her daughters and her wife. And now he, this time he, he's, sorry, he, and now this time he's bringing out his widowed mother. Yeah, just like bringing, it's just like, obviously for those people who are confused as to why I'm angry, it's just, um, it's very deeply patronizing to hear him use women as a crux to make some sort of like mm-hmm. appeal for him to seem sympathetic to what's going on in the world. Like why can't yeah. he see us as uh, human beings, um, irrespective of any relation that we might have with you. The fact that mm-hmm. he mentioned his mother and his daughter, it just tells shows me that he can't actually relate to a woman as a human being. Like it has to be relational. You know, it has to be some mm-hmm. sort of internal, relational, yeah. or romantic in in relation to his wife. Um, relation mm-hmm. for him to actually see us as whole human beings. You know, to to and the line that really aggravates me is um. Is to say, oh, I, I'm doing this for you. I'm doing, I won't let you girls down. Like, fuck you. Like, we don't it need to. He like, has the power. Like, he still holds the power yeah. to do something. Well, like, yeah, even- kind of. It, it's, it's just a very paternalistic kind of attitude to hold when all you can say is, like, um, this is the reason I care about it is because, like, my daughter might have a vested interest in this one that I actually have a paternal relationship with, you know, the power dynamics is all off. And like mentioning his wife, mentioning his widowed mother, you know, mm-hmm. like it, it just seems like really tonally deaf of him to like, yeah. aren't there any smart people in his, in his cabinet? Like, aren't there any smart speech writers in his cabinet? Like, do they not know how just off tonally centered that, that kind of indication of what he's saying um broadcasts you know it just Mm -hmm. seems so ludicrous that we can't that our highest office in uh, this country um 
this and the man that's at the head of it, you know, at least on face value, uh, cannot see the actual underlying message that he is delivering by by making those links. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm actually quite disappointed of what he he said as well. To me, it feels like there's a phrase in Chinese, "ji tong ya jiang," as in the chicken and the duck have no common language. Mm. As in, that it's there's so hard to communicate, even with the Australian of the Year, Grace Tam has come out. Um, her her quote was um with what well, people with kids don't necessarily have conscience and people without kids well, what did she say like um, you don't need a conscience you don't need to be a father to have a conscience or something yeah yeah something like that yeah so he continuously to use his daughter and his yeah. wife and now his mother mm. as a prop to be in his speech and it shows that he cares because he's got a relationship with, with these women you, you shouldn't have to have relationship with women you're an individual human being you're supposed to have those kind of empathy and sympathy yeah. without you know regardless of the relationship yeah and my smartest yeah. friends and I always say like we're very very kind of observant about often the worst kind of men or like human beings um you know mm. the, the shooters in America or the um uh guns rights activists or the white supremacists they're often the ones that have like i'm pretty sure i said this on the pod once in the on their facebook profile page on um, their profile picture is often of them like one hand holding a gun and the other hand holding their daughter like often various men in history have had daughters like it's not hard mm-hmm. to be a father you know and, mm-hmm. and often the yeah. men um, use their status as a father because you know the ultimate status in society is fatherhood you know the paternalistic mm. patriarchal status there's nothing more powerful and sort of socially accepted and they use that as a crux to sort of mandate this sort of inner inherent historically um sanctioned power you know um mm-hmm. i have a daughter and the, so therefore i'm a father and therefore i get to say xyz you know like that mm-hmm. that status of the father it should just be like much more scrutinized i think and um it just really pisses me off when um in the years and years that i taught in private schools often whenever um a male teacher becomes like i just i remember this first the a few couple of instances where um uh, we had like new male leaders at girls schools or girls schools and then in their mm-hmm. speech they would often say like oh um i have three daughters so i think i'll be okay you know as though <laughs> Bullshit. Just, yeah just like what you're just because you're a father to three female children it means suddenly you're the expert in how women and young girls learn it's just so just it's just so yeah. I, i'm so i'll never stop being astonished by how oblivious straight white men are to the realities of other people who are not like them yeah i agree it's yeah it's just so funny (laughs) that's my rant (laughs) okay okay um so on my part um i've just uh, listened to the podcast 7 a.m by saturday paper this morning i caught up with the news about dark 
Mofo. Have you heard it? Oh, yeah. So tell us about it. I, I You sent me the article. So I, yeah. Yeah. I first saw the tweet by Maxime Beneva-Clark uh, earlier this week, I think. Um, mm. But I didn't really look into it. But after I listened to the podcast, so it's about like where they have like annual or biannual art festival in uh, Tasmania. Tasmania. Yeah. And for um, those who don't run know. By the Mona. Yeah, Tasmania is like the tiny island south of Australia. <laughs> it's like closer to Antarctica and it's known for, it's kind of like, I know a lot of like white rich people go there during winter mm. to holiday. And mm. MoMA yeah. is like the um, sort of like the trendy, hip, um, high class, upper class white institution that was, who was it made by? Da- David Lynch or David someone? Someone yeah, white. Yeah, it was, it, it was very white centric type of museum art museum wasn't there we went there you went there once when we oh, were yeah, been there several times yeah. anyway so what happened is that they have this art festival called dark mofo and this year they invited a white spanish artist and santiago sierra to work on a project and they made out a call to uh, requesting blood of indigenous people because his project is to intend to have those blood soaked on a union, a Jack Union flag. Union Jack. So that's his project. It was initially backed up and also defended by the artistic director, Lee Lee Carmichael. Carmichael, yeah. So it's a white person, I'm assuming, with a surname. Yeah. Um, and too late this Tuesday that he apologised and he made, saying that he made a mistake. According to the ABC News, before the cancellation, the plan to soak the flag was overwhelmingly condemned by Indigenous people on social media. So this white artist, white Spanish artist, is totally oblivious about what he was planning to do. He think it was okay. He was think it's an art project and there's nothing wrong with it. Um, uh, One of the Indigenous writer and academic Cass Lynch she wrote on the Overland Journal, she stated that the concept on its own isn't active as an agent of truth-telling. It doesn't contain an Indigenous voice or testimony. It has no nuance nuance on its own. It leans onto the glorification of the gore and violence of colonisation. I think it's just a, it's such a big problem of this white male and entitled artist thinking that um, they can just use their fame to abuse the marginalised people. Like, yeah. It just shows how fucked up his brain is and how little interaction. I, I assume that he had no consultation with any Indigenous people when he wants to engage in, you know, in this kind of something like he wants to have uh, show the truth of the suffering of the Indigenous community. Oh. Oh. But it's an ongoing exploitation. You're asking yeah. the Indigenous people to donate their blood for your artwork. Yeah, that's disgusting. That's like repulsive. Like the word donate means that, oh, I'm not going to give you anything. Or It's yeah. just so, it's worse than when you're saying that I'm just going to take it for free. I mean, he said that he's against a colonization, but what he's doing is exactly what the colonizers did. Yeah. Like continuously to exploit marginalized people's resource to build up his own value. Literally asking for part That's of the body. Um, yeah, so the, the guy who made, who created, set up MoMA was Mona. It was David Walsh. That was his name. I think he came out with like a massive, massively famous book a few years ago that fucking, I swear, every like trendy Potts Point fucking person <laughs> has on their copy. Uh, uh, yeah. Anyway, um, I just have this thing like, so, so my question, I have two questions. Um, one is the, mm-hmm. is the uh, festival going on? 
or has it been- oh, no they cancel his project oh they so have not project yeah. oh so, so the project still going on i assume it is but oh, what he, this this one where he requested like the san diego's project is not going to be right um going to be on um so that when I looked at Magazine's um, tweet on, uh, was it on, I think it was late Monday, mm. I was just thinking, I'm not quite sure what is it. So I'm going to look into it. And I literally yeah. forgot it until this morning that I heard from the podcast. Yeah. And I'm just so astonished at thinking that how can an artist so dumb and so stupid thinking that it is okay to do something like that? But then again, I told myself, yeah, it's it's possible because he's white and he's male and he's entitled and he thinks yeah. it's okay to do that because yeah. he thinks he's got the power to over other people to tell them what to do. Because the history of the world is literally those men um, practicing the art of being oblivious to anyone else's, mm-hmm. you know, and taking yeah. whatever they want to take for their own uh, creation. You know, so angry. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Um, would you ever want to go see Dark Mofo? Uh, no. I'd be interested. No, I, moment, I, but, um, so. I mean, I'd love, I love, <laughs> I love Tasmania and I really want to go back. Uh, the, life, the last time I was there was <laughs> with your kids and mum. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah um, but, yeah, I, I'd feel like if I went to Dark Mofo, I'd just be, like, bitching about how many white people there were, <laughs> like, surrounded by bougie white art dealers and stuff like that, right? Yeah. I would yeah. definitely be the only Asian. I know that. Mm-hmm. Like the only yeah. specialized person there yeah so interesting I mean also it's just funny how often I've been thinking a lot about um the state of the world in terms of arts and art creation mm-hmm. in Australia and it's it's really depressing that we have to often outsource our um sort of um attention to uh, artists overseas like we don't ever have there's just there's a complete lack of history when it comes to you know creating art and kind of paying attention to our own artists like we have a gazillion one yeah. um really talented interesting indigenous and um mm-hmm. artists working in or across australia but often what happens um is we like look for elsewhere i i don't know why mm-hmm. yeah this is so strange to me as well because Prestige. apparently because santiago sierra is a very sensationalized um shock jock type of yeah, art yeah. that's why we want to get him in but i think if you really want to portray and artwork that shows the suffering of indigenous people why can't you find an indigenous artist why do you have to source out from what european and an european artist essentially it's just oh this is really pathetic i think yeah white european yeah, art. yeah. Mm-hmm. it's like white supporting white artists again you well, know yeah it's that like- is literally the history of the world that's why i'm very like I'm very resistant and I turn my head naturally away from anyone who has, who has the identity of white and male and straight, because um, due to history, they are, they are already buoyed and strengthened by that subject position, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, Mm. and it's, it's, it just means that inherently they haven't had to overcome as many barriers as say a trans black disabled artist, you know? Yeah. Yeah, Um, exactly. Yeah, and and I'm I, I still believe like I I've said this a gazillion times and I will not stop saying it because I honestly still believe it and you know come at me I I would like to be refuted one day <laughs> in any shape or form but like I still really believe that um 
the things that we call great art today are called great art because thousands of years ago, the people in power, i.e. the consensus, um, were the people who said, who were the deciders of what was good. And they tended mm-hmm. to be um, male and straight and white, right? And so exactly. they, they picked out the art and called it great art, the art that spoke to them, you know, and that they mm-hmm. related to. And so invariably it would have been art that was created by people who looked like them. So straight yeah. white males reaching out, sympathizing with straight white male uh, art creations and then calling it great art, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and that yeah, that's why we have boys club. Yeah. Yeah. And that continues throughout yeah. every single facet of art, be it classical mm-hmm. art, be it music, jazz. Uh, jazz obviously has a black history, so that's different. Um, you know, classical music, um, dance. Particularly any industry. Yeah. Any industry. Yeah. It's always been dominated by a specific cohort in the world. And mm-hmm. then they have propelled and given power and called, called art that, that called art great that, um, it was just selective. It was selective. It was selected. And so that we are just receiving the um, sort of the, we are inheriting, inheriting what, inheriting what they had considered great art, you know? And mm-hmm. so I don't like, you know, I'm not saying that Shakespeare or Monet is not good. It's just, I don't pay attention to Shakespeare or Monet. I'd rather pay attention mm-hmm. to other writers or other, mm-hmm. artists, you know? Yeah, because they were popularized by the mainstream and people just, I guess, and it comes down to the education curriculum as well. Like people will just follow them blindly mm. and you just see the same perspectives over and over again because they're exactly. from a very similar background regardless, uh, regard to their sexuality, yeah. um, gender, class, family structure. So you have a very similar type of work yeah, that exactly produced out because they are pretty much in the same social group and things like that. Yeah. I've been saying uh, about how male is has been dominated in a lot of industries. I listened to the ABC interview that was recommended by our fantastic listener, uh, Blue Sky Wonsi. Uh, she recommended, uh, they recommended last year, um, this interview of Griselda Pollock. I've only had a chance to listen to it last few days. Mm. The interview is really, really interesting. Um, Paula, she's a uh, professor in art history and critical thinking and culture analysis. So she talked about how female artists were essentially erased from the mainstream teaching, similar to what we went to see, um, what Hannah Gatsby, yeah, what Hannah Gatsby has talked about how patriarchy has taken the power to eliminate anything that is not white and cis male. Mm-hmm. And not only that, you know, art history, like a lot of other historical data has been centered on the achievement of white males. The intersexualities has also been removed. We're talking about queer, people yeah. of color, indigenous, disabled, and yeah. also different classes as well. Yeah. Like what really got me crying when I was listening to her interview was that she said that she felt the movement of feminism as well as the relearning and unlearning about the aspects of the dominating the world is like a delusion. Like she said, oh, what we females have achieved is kind of like a delusion. Like I can hear the exhaustion from her tone of voice. Yeah. It's really disheartening. Yes. Like she's she's into her 70s and she felt yeah. like she's tired and exhausted, yeah. just trying to fight all the time yeah. to for the, you know, fight for the voice for the people who are being marginalized. 
but however she also emphasized that she continued to have the faith to continue the work that she does and she continued to inspire by the woman before her she also is looking forward of her students what they will be achieving in the future I'm glad that she still grabs on the faith and as I can see it for myself I think hope is something that we still need to hold on to yeah to hoping that the world will become better yeah yeah I think um what really buoys me is like um this this internal anger that we have because if you're not angry then you don't want mm. you don't have a desire to change things so I think embedded within the emotion of anger mm-hmm. is actually this um really optimistic desire for change for t- to see that change can occur you know so like I think that's something that you know yeah so yeah I understand it makes you super emotional Helen and it does also like I remember crying during the documentary Brazen Hussies or Brazen Huskies or something I forget the name of it, but it's a documentary about um, the rise of Australian feminism during the 70s and 80s. And um, that was like, it made me upset because, yeah, I listened to, you know, I saw that these women have been fighting um, for decades. You know, it's, I'm not new, Mm -hmm. like I'm just literally standing on the shoulders of women who have come before me, right? So it is really upsetting to, to discover time and time again that um, the feelings and the anger that I have is completely not new. I'm not the first mm-hmm. person to have been enraged by fact X, fact Y, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and, but, but, but I think when you talk about optimism, it is inherent in the way that you and I operate in the world, right? Like we, you and I, we wouldn't be doing this podcast if we didn't believe that it helped create mm-hmm. a world for our kids, right? Yeah. And hopefully that our voice can pass out onto the wider communities and they can understand yeah. and join the force. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, um, we're going to take a quick break uh, and uh, we'll be right back. Okay. So we're back. Um, you know how I told you, Billy, Carl, and I have finished our Sex on the City journey. <laughs> yes. So we have finished it um, this week, uh, finished the second movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, intolerable, absolutely intolerable. The egregious kind of like othering <laughs> in every way, you know, is just like outstanding. Um, but um, Billy and I did watch um, because we were in a Sarah Jessica Sarah Jessica Parker mood. We watched one of mm-hmm. her movies from a few years ago called "I Don't Know How She Does It." Mm, you know it? Okay. I think I've seen the movie poster before. Right. Yeah. So I remember seeing the trailer a few years ago and I just rolled my eyes because it looked like a, you know, white feminist trash. Um, And basically uh, (laughs) it was white feminist trash. (laughs) Um, um, uh, Billy and I just said after like days after watching it, um, we would just joke with each other. um, I don't know how she does it. Money is how she does it. Yeah, exactly. It's like you have to have money to do everything. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Which is like really, really... um, apt about um in regards to what we are going to talk about later helen mm-hmm. yes yes um, so i don't know how she does it stars uh just sarah jessica parker she's um a professional woman she's a in the movie she plays an investment banker of some sort <laughs> investment banker or lawyer oh, yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> yeah it's like the it's like the alpha male job of you know uh-huh. only way that um that we as a society, as like the audience can can process um, sort of this idea that she has power, you know? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. completely unconvincing since you know it's sarah jessica parker um but uh, she's married to greg kinnear she has two kids a daughter and a son um and she's like constantly feels guilty because she's like wants to be a mother there for her kids and she also wants to do great at her job you know mm-hmm. um and she um she also has a nanny you know of course and oh wow these are the women Oh, yeah. And these are the women who, you know, um, often are portrayed as women who struggle the most, like, right? Like Sheryl Sandberg, how does she do it? Money, i.e. a nanny, you know, a full-time carer. And it's so funny that uh, in the second movie of Sex and the City, the second um, film, um, the sequel, uh, we see Charlotte struggling with her kids. And it's like, uh, you have a full-time carer and you're married to like a really wealthy guy. You have like a billion dollar penthouse and uh, you're still struggling. Like, uh, I don't get these women, seriously. Um, it's like privilege <laughs> equals privilege equals trauma for them, you know? Mm-hmm. It's yeah. anyway, um, so Capaldi. Back to the movie, yes. Um, it's really insane because like Billy and I were watching it the whole time. We were like, where is the fucking tension in the film? There's no tension. It's just her like constantly struggling to feel like she's on top of doing things. Mm-hmm. Um, the one of the most egregious um scenes in the movie comes in the first five minutes when she's coming home at 1 a.m. She's on a taxi and she stops mm-hmm. over, she stops over at a like convenience store. And she lives yes. in New York, by the way. Obviously, all all stories take place in New York. Um, and <laughs> she's um, stops over at a shop because she's just received a notification that her daughter, who's like around seven, she's got a bake sale at school the following day. Mm-hmm. And because mm-hmm. she doesn't want to be a terrible mother, she um she, and she promised her child that she would like make something from home. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's the currency of, you know, how what stay-at-home mothers are measured by, you know, whether or not you mm-hmm. your child's um, bake sale. Oh, I hate that. that. I hate that so yeah. much. And yeah. the shame associated with store-bought, it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So anyway, mm-hmm. she doesn't have time, so she buys something. She buys a pie, she brings it home, and then sort of messes it up a little bit so it looks like she made it, you know? Where's it that? Oh, so exactly, where's the, where's the, where's the, exactly. Where's fucking, where's the fucking right? father? Where's the fucking exactly. man in the family? So, the yeah. father is uh, Greg Kinnear. He's an architect, right? Okay. <laughs> and uh, and he comes into the, the kitchen while she's like just finished, you know, wrapping up this high. Uh-huh. So I'm guessing it's like 2.30, 3, 3 a.m., right? Mm-hmm. And then he, they the next scene is of them in the bedroom, right? And then he's like, are you too tired? Wink, wink. Yeah, fuck. He wants sex. Yeah. Oh my god. I'm like, are you fucking fucking me? Like, I'm like, she just, your wife just literally came back from like a red eye flight or a really late flight. She just did this shit for her daughter, and now you're asking for Uh sex. What kind of an unreasonable fucking jerk of a husband is that? Anyway, and then she, what's worse is actually Sarah Jessica Parker concedes. Like she uh-huh. has to dress up and like wait in bed while Greg Kinnear goes to the bathroom and like washes his mouth, right? And then when mm-hmm. he comes back into the bedroom, she's asleep. But what really angered me about that was the fact that Sarah Jessica Parker be- thought that she had to concede in order to be a good mm-hmm. You know? How old is this movie again? What uh, year? 10 years old now. Maybe. Okay. I actually don't know. Yeah. But, but I think it, it's a reality for a lot of women. Yeah, that think if you don't have your husband, I think it's a reality that they'll like find. Yeah, I, my husband would never dare to do that. What do you mean? I don't He'd think. Never behave. I, I think well. he, he. Are you saying? Well, what I mean is that my, my my husband knows that when I'm tired, I'm tired. I don't need to tell him verbally. 
Yeah. As in he takes the signal, you know, he, he's he's smart enough to take the signal that after that, if I was in that situation, he wouldn't touch me afterwards. Yeah. I just need my fucking sleep. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But then again, there, there, I'm sure there's a lot of guys out there. It's exactly are exactly like what happens in the movie that they don't take any signs they don't understand and when they want sex they will just push for it yeah anyway the movie um is awful because in the end she uh, <laughs> basically like leaves her job and starts up a new firm um basically so mm-hmm. she has she has had to bend um over in order for you know the world to um function again in her white privileged rich family um, mm. it's, it's just a, like another egregious film that um, really had no use to be made. It really had no purpose in being in the world. It just mm. it literally like Billy and I just, we were saying the whole week, worst film we've ever seen. Worst film we've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. Its purpose is for you to rant about it on our podcast. It's so bad. <laughs> it is so bad in every shape, way, form. Yeah. But that's probably not the only film that is like that. I'm sure that there's a lot of Hollywood films that is like by what Ryan Gosling, by all those very mainstream Hollywood yeah. actors and actresses are very similar based in this kind of genre and story. You know, white privileged family, and they're saying that they're struggling, but they they've got heaps of money. Yeah, and they still end up fucking okay. Yeah. I know it just it you know what I have learned from these movies is it must be really hard to be rich you know and straight and white <laughs> and like thin mm-hmm. and able-bodied that we don't understand their struggles yeah we exactly. literally don't understand yeah, yeah. their struggles it's egregious the, the 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 sort of attention that I give to those kind of films I'm disgusted by mm-hmm. myself really at myself <laughs> Um, so I've uh, finished Clara and the Sun by Ishigaru over the weekend. So essentially it's a story about like, it's very similar to AI, um, Mm -hmm. the movie where there's a artificial intelligence in the book that they call artificial friend and they can be purchased from like department stores and bring it home to be like a companion for your kids. When I was wearing a t-shirt this morning, Doraemon, it's essentially like Doraemon. Mm. For those who doesn't know, Doraemon is a, a Japanese animation we grew up with, like from the early '80s. That it's like a robot cat um, from the future that yeah. came to the um, this universe to be like a companion for the character of the animation. Um, what really saddens saddens me is that that the connection of that entity that were created to serve human those um, artificial friends brings our better humanity empathy and love above the normal human behaviors mm. like in the novel because humans have too much emotion desire and want mm. i'm speaking in terms similar to like our pets for example our dogs i feel like they have more unconditional love compared to human relationship within humans because there's always a conditional um, requirement when you have a relationship with a human yeah whereas pets they essentially they just want you being there with them there's no uh phys- there's no like a capital exchange or trading like that you feed and you give them a shelter and that's enough for them yeah and you have time you spend some time with them whereas in the book there's always it feels like there's always a transaction yeah. for love 
Yeah. For example, there's um, the love for the child that the mom, the parents expect the child to be successful mm. in their academic progress and the way that the parents will go beyond, which we will, I think is very related to what we'll be talking about later mm. on our pod about today's topic. The amount of effort and the amount of time and also money and capital mm. that the parents can invest or are willing to invest into their kids' like future. They call it future. You need to be successful. You need to be granted into like a pathway. Um, in a novel, they want their kids to go into this um, college called Atlas Broken College. Mm where they have to be either lifted, like genetically modified to be more intelligent, or you have to find some other pathway. For example, in the novel, one of the mother had me went to look for someone in her network that she knows trying to get her son into the college. But whereas from the perspective of the artificial friends, um, her main goal was to continue the friendship with her um so-called master or to get uh, to help her to become better in her health that's it she doesn't want anything else mm. so there's a imbalance what I see in the novel that was really interesting of what you so-called unconditional love I think there's no unconditional love within humans yeah yeah interesting yeah and that's mm. a controversial take for the day <laughs> I think I agree yeah. with you because um well I don't know like yeah yeah I think love is inherently about power imbalances mm-hmm. and like constantly yeah. negotiating those power that power differences right imbalances mm-hmm. because like yeah. there's nothing that is no situation I think in science or the world the physical world where everything is fifty fifty you know mm-hmm. especially yeah. in relation yeah. right mm-hmm. yeah there's always a power imbalance and speaking of the um, we like how we often say that how much uh, that will a piece of work will drive us to cry. I think this novel, I didn't cry until the last two pages because oh, cool. at the very end, Ishigoro write about how Clara, which is the artificial friend, she's been um, dumped, disposed at like a yard because she's no longer usable. Like, see, yeah. there's another, there's another yeah, thing beautiful. that humans often use. We yeah. just dispose things that doesn't come um, useful for us anymore. Yeah. And how she described how the time that she's at the yard, she's looking at the sun, that the sun is still giving her nourishment, yeah. but she's not needed anymore by the human and she's okay. She's yeah. totally fine being there for the rest of her life. You don't know when she's going to be turned off, but she it's just very sad of how she's describing it almost at the end of her life, but yeah. she's okay and she's been, she feel fine because she's achieved the goal of what her existence, which yeah. is helping her master yeah. to become healthy. Yeah. 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 That was the really sad part, I think. Well, can you lend it to me? I'd like to read. I've never actually yeah, read yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Luke's reading it now. So oh, great. I think he's going to finish it soon. Yeah. I have to say, another writer who I, I know he's not straight. I know, sorry, I know he's not white. <laughs> I just tend to not look at famous people. I don't read, I've never mm-hmm. read King or a um, James Patterson. I will never read any of those two men, you know. Um, mm. I, I just don't tend to like Shiguru Murakami. Um, all those massive names I just tend to not look at because they've got enough readers they've mm-hmm. got enough, like collective attention and therefore collective love that um, I just like inherently I don't need to give them more love 
also I'm not interested in I'm not interested in people who are like really big writers I'm mm-hmm. interested in always what the smaller writer someone who doesn't have a lot of fame has to say I think that often mm. has the most interesting things to say so um both of us can like yeah had a very like engaging week um of cultural consumption what are you reading now I'm moving on I'm actually reading another um Ishigoro's book but I'm rereading it in Chinese edition Never Let Me Go oh yeah nice. but I also received Breast and Eggs mm. was it isn't plural I can't remember it's plural Miyako I can't remember her surname mm. Breast and Eggs anyway it's Japanese it's a Japanese female writer so I'm, I received a book yesterday so I'm going to start reading it you you said that you read it on uh, ebook, didn't you? I have you? it on ebook, but I haven't I haven't yeah. finished it yet. Yeah, so there's a seminar on on her work tonight, I think. Yeah, oh, cool. So we're gonna take a quick break, and then we're gonna come back and talk about this massive Netflix documentary that everyone is talking about, in called Varsity Blues Operations, Blues. In the college admission scandal. So we'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> 